0: I'm so uh, grateful for uh, those words that we sing, especially that portion in this song, where uh, one day in heaven we'll have a perfect song. And uh, if you have limited ability for singing, like I have, then uh, that gives us hope, right? One day in glory we'll be able to sing perfectly, with perfect song. So uh, you may want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 this morning. So maybe just as as an introduction, or towards an introduction, you will remember that Peter writes to the church in dispersion, and uh, he gets to this portion just before the verse that we're going to pay attention to, and uh, he says, they, talking about the unbelievers, those who are not part of God's people, they stumble because they disobey the word As they were destined to do. And last time we spoke about what that means, but today we come to that wonderful portion of uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, where he talks about us, those of us who are indeed part of the group called God's people. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just a quick prayer and then we'll continue. Father, we are so aware of the fact that we are feeble, uh, we are... Not able to do anything without your help, so we pray for your help. As I speak and as your people listen, uh, help us to not only acknowledge the truth of what we hear, but help us to apply it in our lives in such a way that many will see that we are indeed God's people. Amen. Amen. Well, we're all part of groups, and uh, we are so aware of the fact that we are groups. That I just wanted to make sure that you know that you're part of this group. So. Those who are online, I apologize, you won't be in this picture, but just smile, everyone. There we go. Dave, you must also... Oh, you're behind a mask. I can't see your smile. There we go. Well, uh, do any of you know a person by the name of Mokokoma Mokonyana? No, you won't. Uh, I just stumbled upon him, and it's applicable to what I want to say this morning because he wrote the following. He said, people who smile while they are alone used to be called insane. <laughs> Until we invented smartphones and social media. That is according to Makokoma Makonyana. Very true, isn't it? I, uh, I have an interesting WhatsApp group that I joined some time ago. It is uh, one of my high school groups. Now, those of you who know my uh, growing up years, some of my history... Will know that I went to two high schools. I went to Vondervorm High School until the end of, or middle of uh, standard eight, which is grade ten for those who are younger, and then from there I moved to Usmut Uer School. Now the Vondervorm guys picked me up about two years ago, and they made me part of their matric group. They, their, their Vonis 75. It was in 1975 that I matriculated, and their group picked me up because they for some reason wanted me to be part of this group. So uh, I applied, you know, I, I asked to join and they allowed me to join this group. And it's a very interesting group because uh, of the amount of messages that they sent in this group. On Friday night, it's just, this is an example, it's a sample. Sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's better. On Friday night between six o'clock and 7.30, guess how many messages, anyone? No, that's too many. Lower expectation. (laughs) Don't know what groups you're part of. (laughs) 113 messages. 113. There's no way I can read all of them, but so I'm still part of that group because it's a fascinating group. They post mostly um, messages that can be forwarded. So every so often there's something that you don't want to forward, but most of them are. But I scheme through it, and then sometimes I find something that is just unique, and so I'm part of this group. And from time to time, I would acknowledge their existence, and I also will reply to something and then see how they, they respond. It's one of the most active groups that, uh, that I'm part of. Some are, are less active but more valuable, but I won't say it to them, and hopefully none of them are listening online. Fact is, we are all part of groups, aren't we? Here we are, this group, together in person, and there's another group or groups that are listening online in their homes. Uh, We're part of the human group, right? Hopefully, all of us who are here. Uh, We're part of the South African group. We're part of the KZN group, and we're very famous now for riots. We're part of the Hillcrest Baptist Church group. We're part of a home group. Hopefully, you are. Trust that you are. We're part of a family group and then we're part of friendship groups. But there are three truths about every group that functions effectively. And these are, if you think of any group that you're part of, now my WhatsApp group, the Vonis75, I can identify with that group. First truth. Second truth is I can contribute in some way to that group. And then thirdly, I can benefit from that group. The social media to a certain extent, has changed group dynamics significantly. But these three truths remain in any group. It's also true that the group called God's people function in these three truths. And Peter points out in these two verses that we're going to study today that that is also true. And it should challenge us. It should challenge us on two levels. Firstly, we need to look at those points again and ask the question, do I truly identify, do I truly participate, and am I aware of the benefits of this group? So you may think that you're contributing if you just join from time to time, and you forward or click or share a Bible verse from time to time, or you may think that you are truly part of this group when you watch online sermons and you check in when Clint or Bud or one of the Johns preach, and uh, you so used to seeing Billy on your device that you won't recognize him when you walk past him at the mall. You may want to become more active in this group and you may want to evaluate your compatibility to God's people. And Peter helps us even though he did not write or know anything about social media, he knew everything about God's people. And we learn today from Peter that God's people has identity and we have a responsibility and we have benefits as part of God's people. So let's jump into the first one, the identity of God's people. We find that in verse 9 of 1st Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So let's just talk about uh, the group that Peter refers to here in 1st Peter 2. We see that Peter gives a name to this group in verse 10. He calls that group God's people. Peter actually started this letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. He says, to those who are elect, those who are elect exiles. And verse 2, he continues, says, they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit through or for obedience to Jesus Christ. So Peter writes to the church of Jesus Christ, calls them the people of God, God's people. And he writes specifically to those who were chosen to be part of a persecuted church and disperse. So what happened is in Jerusalem, the Jews started persecuting those who were called of the way, those who were following Jesus Christ. And because they feared for their lives, wanted to find another place for them to live, they were dispersed all over the, uh, the world of that time. So Peter reminded this confused and persecuted church of their election and their redemption in the first part of chapter 1. And then continuing on in chapter 1, we see Peter teaching about the value of salvation and the importance of love for God and one another. And he also says that although uh, those people who were dispersed lost everything in their dispersion, they have an everlasting inheritance in glory. And then he confirmed to the church that the rock-solid foundation of the church is intact. It's not lost. And that Rock-solid foundation is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter continues to explain the gifts we received, united with Christ, direct access to God, and eternal security. And then we get to verse 9 and 10, where Peter explains that you as individual belong to an amazing, wonderful group called the people of God. So this means that you must identify with these people. So Peter helps by listing the identifiers, and then the responses of people who belong to Jesus. So my question to you simply today is, as you sit here and as you are at home or wherever you are listening and watching, do you belong to Jesus, which will mean you do belong to the group called God's people? So to help us decide, and you may want to seriously think about this, how do you think about these identifiers that Peter gives us in verse nine? He firstly says that you are a chosen race. And Peter is very diligent in referring back to the Old Testament, and he knows that those even in dispersion will know the Old Testament, and he reminds them of the facts that they, that they found, especially in the prophets of the Old Testament, and he applies that to their lives currently and to their confusion that they may experience in their trouble. As an example, Deuteronomy, 6, uh, Deuteronomy 7, I, apologies. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 to 9 We we read that God is is recorded as saying that Israel is God's chosen people. You see the word again, chosen? He chose them not because of who or what they were, but because of His love and because of His promise. We We cannot ignore the word chosen. Throughout the history of God with man, God chose, and that's good news. If it was up to us, then we would never make it into glory. If it was possible for us to choose between going to heaven or not, we'll choose not going. We are unable to make the right choice. But because it is up to God, that's good news. And since the beginning of God's history with man, God chose. He chose Noah. And He chose Abraham. And He chose the Israelites and formed them into God's people initially. And He chose Jacob and not Esau. And He chose David. And He chose you if you are part of God's people. The church in Rome wanted to know how this choosing works. We see it because Paul answers them. They may have been thinking and saying among others, among, amongst themselves, which you may also ask, is it fair that God would only choose some people to be God's people? Is it fair? Is it fair that God will create my grandfather only to allow him to go to hell forever? So Paul explains by using Jacob and Esau as an example. and We find that where Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 9 from verse 11. Just listen to this. In order that God's purpose of election, so there's the choosing, might continue not because of works but because of him who calls. Then he says, she, referring to Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, and he refers to Malachi 1 verse 2 and 3, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So still confusing. Just imagine those in Rome saying, well, that doesn't help us. What are you talking about? What, what is this? How can that be? Verse 14, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is there injustice in God's, on God's part. By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God chose throughout the history of man who God's people would be. And that is why, we are called God's people. You are not God's people because you say you are. You are God's person because He says you are. So you have to identify with these. So chosen race. So why a race? Is God then racist? Well, no, He's not. And we see it by just looking at the, uh, the original Greek. And I don't know original Greek, but I've got resources, and I'm so thankful for that. So, I looked up on the resources that I have, and the Greek word translated race is the word genos. And the Latin derivative of that is genos. And you can hear genes there, right? So, it really means literally or, or uh, practically it means of like kind. So, if you look at the Hutton clan, and Fran doesn't qualify because she married into the Hutton clan, you can be grateful. Friend, because the Hutton clan, part of our genes is that we battle with high blood pressure and we battle with valves. You know, almost all my valves in my body doesn't work properly—heart valves and all sorts of other valves, stomach valves. That's part of the genes that we have, right? And Dr. Dave knows all about it. He helps me manage this uh, condition. So the people of God, the chosen race, is made up of many who have been born again into a new gene pool. The people of God with their unique genes, they all look more and more alike because they look more and more like Jesus. And if you're not there, you may not be part of God's people. So a chosen race. And then he says, you are also a royal priesthood. Interesting combination of words, both a ruler and a preacher, in the same phrase. Well, what does it mean for us today? Are you all priests and kings? You should be. Although I don't like the word priest, but just, you know, take it not in the context of some of the false religions who have priests. And I'm not wearing this collar to make a point. It's just because it's cold. So preacher and Ruler. Those are the two concepts that he wants us to understand. We have to see it in the context of the Old and New Testament concept of priests and kings. So priests would advise the king. So the priest would come and they'll talk to the king about what's happening. And the king will take some advice from the priests. And then the priest will go to the nation and inform them what the king said. I I am a bit concerned, though, that some preachers are abusing the kingship element of that part of the believer's life. They teach that as king, you have authority. And they believe and teach that you have authority so that you can rule over demons and sickness and circumstances by commanding them according to your desires. Whenever I speak to one of my friends who believe this, they say, you know, you shouldn't speak death over this thing if I say, well, this is going to happen. Or you know, just speak life, and I say, but I've tried that with a list of people that I actually want the Lord to remove, and they're still here. It's not working. So I'm concerned. But there were also, just to make it interesting and understandable for us, the people in the in uh, in the, the dispersed church who were listening to this and were reading this letter would understand the concept of the kings in that time. They were also kings who were only permitted to rule within the bounds of the direct commands from the ruling king, the real king. For example, Herod, in the time of Jesus. He was called a king in Jerusalem, but he had very little authority. He was really a puppet of the Roman kings. And it's very much like that with us. We only really have authority over our own sin. When your unconditional election was followed by irresistible grace, You were given the task of being priest, in other words, to teach yourself about who you are and where you need to adjust to become more like Jesus, and the task of ruling over your sin. You see, before joining God's people, your lessons were false, and you were a slave to sin. You had no option but to sin. You had no ability given to you for not sinning. So you are a priest so that you can teach and you are a king over the sin in your royal castle, your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And Peter intentionally chose this combination of royal priest. We have an example, don't we? We actually have two examples of royal priests. The first one you'll know, that's Jesus. He was the priest king, the teacher and everlasting king. And the other example was Melchizedek that you read about, and we read about that relationship between Melchizedek and Jesus in Hebrews 5 and 6 and 7. But I want us just to join in our concern for the ease with which we place emphasis on ruling and neglect our priesthood responsibility we naturally want to and gravitate towards being king we want to be in control we naturally want to rule just just think about this if you're in a family at home and you want to watch tv and you can't find the remote what do you say You don't say, where is the remote? You say, who had the remote last? Right? You want to rule. It's natural and easy for us to do that. But the priest part means that we have to live an exemplary life. That's more difficult. And it takes more courage. And it takes more work. So I'm comfortable to accept that I am a bastion, which is the word that is used for uh, the royalty in this case. It's a royal house for my king. And that's a hard enough task to maintain. I rule with the help of the resident Holy Spirit over my son. And I'm priest, teaching myself and others about the real priest and king, the amazing Jesus Christ. And then he says, you're a holy nation. And holy doesn't mean you're a certain level of spirituality. It means that you are separate. You are Set apart for God and for God's purpose. And you are a nation, which he explains to us in that verse, a people for God's own possession. You're not your own. You belong to God in a way that other people don't belong to God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, we see Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So there you have the identifying or identifiers and identity of the group called God's people. How do you measure up? And maybe you want to identify some of those and just pay attention again to how you fit into this. And then we get secondly to a responsibility. What is our responsibility to this group called God's people? We see in the second part of verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you. So, knowing who the people of God is, very simply, Peter says, the purpose for you being part of God's people is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you. God brought you into God's people. He separated you from the world for His purposes to do what to proclaim. And the idea of the word proclaim is of a town crier in those days, a town crier. They didn't have internet. They couldn't go and Google something to find out what's happening in America. Uh, They had town criers who would get the news or the information from somewhere, and the town crier will walk or run through the town, through the streets, and he'll shout, I know something. I have news. And then everyone will come to the town square, and at the town square he will proclaim. And the word proclaim is exangelo. And you may hear the word angel in there. Angel means a messenger. Exangelo means bringing a message, and, and translated into proclaim means to show forth or to tell abroad, you know, to shout so loud that everyone hears. And this really means that next time if you're, part of a group and you talk to them about Jesus, then you're the angel, right? You're the messenger, and they should respond with, thank you very much, my angel. So just remind them next time that you bring them good news that they can respond in that way. You are to bring a message to proclaim. What are you to proclaim? What a wonderful priest you are? No. What an amazing church you attend? No. Although that may, may contribute to the, the central message that you want to proclaim and must proclaim, But you proclaim, according to Peter here, the excellencies of Him who called you. What are the excellencies? The original word again, through the resources that I use, helps us to understand that Peter refers here to God's virtue and moral goodness. It's important to know that, because whenever you are guilty of not proclaiming God's excellencies, you are not proclaiming God. Whenever you doubt God's excellencies, you're not living out who God really is. So your contribution to this group called God's people is to speak, to post, to write, to forward anything that is of value about who God is. God is good, and He's perfectly virtuous. How do you compare to that? What is your desire? Is your desire to become that? If you are part of God's people, then you carry with you the responsibility to represent that group. And your responsibility is not only in speaking, but also in living. If you're saying, I'm too scared for that, I'm going to hold back, that's not an option. Here's the command. Proclaim. Why are you proclaiming your own excellencies? Why are you using your own circumstances to hide from your responsibility? And just remember that this proclaiming of God's excellencies is not influenced by time or circumstance. I do hope there's a media room in heaven. And I would love to also watch what the circumstances were of those who were listening to this letter originally. The church in dispersion. And to hear their story of how they had to leave everything and run for their lives. It is the tense also in this word proclaim helps us. It is in the aorist tense. The aorist tense means it is a past action without indicating its completion or continuation. So it starts, it doesn't end. It only ends when God says it ends. And it's not today. In other words, you keep on doing the proclaiming until you are told to stop. And that will be when the Lord comes and gets you. One of the reasons you are caught up in the hype and hopelessness of your situation is because you forget the excellencies of him who called you. And you forget the excellencies of him who called you because you don't proclaim them often enough. And you don't proclaim them often enough because you don't remind yourself of them often enough. I, I love what I do. I, I absolutely love uh, spending time with people and, and uh, hearing how they struggle and I found what other counselors also found, biblical counselors, and that is that the majority of Christians who are struggling with emotional and other issues, struggling in their circumstances, is because they don't read their Bible enough. So stop staring at your own situation and start looking at God again. Know Him and proclaim Him. That's your responsibility in this group called God's People. And then number three. The truth that also makes this, or that makes God's people an effective group is the benefits that we get. Why am I part of this group? Why do I continue to scroll through the 113 messages of the Vonnie 75 WhatsApp group? It's because there's some value somewhere there. I still benefit. I read something or I'm reminded of a song or a music group of way back when, and I find that joyful. I benefit from that. So here are the benefits. The second part of verse 9, him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So remember Peter was a fisherman, but clearly he understood the application of Old Testament prophecies. And here again he refers to Hosea chapter 1 verse 6 to 10. The benefits of belonging to, to this group is that the owner of this group is true to his Old Testament word, which Peter does all the time. He shows us that God, who is the owner of this group called God's people, is true to his word because he's true to his word. And as he refers to Hosea chapter 1, he promises to make available light and mercy and belonging to those who became or become part of this group. Hosea was commanded in that passage that I refer to, to name his daughter no mercy. And his son, not my people. You say so, what is this? Well, that was God showing that He He shows mercy because He chooses to show mercy. So at, at one point He stopped showing mercy to His own people and provided that mercy to other people. Now, who of you here are of the of the Israelite nation? Anyone? None, but you are part of God's people. It's because God decided at some point to move His mercy away from the nation Israel to God's people, which include you and me. So no mercy means God does not have to. He is not obliged to provide mercy at all because of who the Israelites were. He provided mercy to them and to us who are God's people because of who God is. He's not obliged. Yet he does because of who he is. Throughout the ages, God showed two kinds of mercy. Firstly, a general mercy as we see in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God's general mercy is seen in the fact that he waits. He gives time and more time. Until the last person whose name is written last in the book of life comes to faith. And then sometime after that, all of this will end. That's God's general mercy. It's still at play. So while we are still in this time before Jesus Christ returns, there's still hope and God's general mercy is available to all. But this kind of mercy will end. It will definitely end when Jesus returns. And it may end for you today, tomorrow. Next week. And then there's also a specific and everlasting mercy that we see in Romans 9, verse 22 and 23. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Your greatest benefit in being one of God's people, is that you are one of God's people. And on top of that, the benefit is that you have received mercy, everlasting mercy. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The greatest benefit of being God's person is that you are God's person who reserved, received mercy, general and specific and everlasting. Your greatest gift from God is not that you learn to cope with your circumstances and challenges of life. It is not that you will not go to hell, although those are amazing benefits. The greatest gift is not even that you will receive wisdom to manage your way through the decisions and difficulties of this life, although that is a wonderful gift to have. The greatest benefit to you as God's person, part of God's people is God himself. Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. Oh, Christian friend, may it be true of you that you no longer live for you, but that you live for him. And if you sit here today and you watch this online, and you're not sure that you are part of God's people, then you must want to be. Don't delay and don't find excuses. Don't bide your time. You don't know when your end will be. You don't know when God's general grace and mercy will end for you. So make today the day that everything will change. Press the join button for God's people and start contributing and start benefiting. For those who are part of this group, share, like, forward, check in, comment, Be active in this group by embracing the identity, by taking up your responsibility, and by enjoying the benefits. Father, as we think of these verses, only a few words, but such a profound impact on our personal lives. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for God's people. And oh, how unworthy we are, but how thankful we are that it is not because of who we are, but because of who you are that we can be part of this group. And even though we look at the identifiers and fall short, even though we are lackadaisical and lazy with our contribution, oh Lord, how wonderful it is that we benefit, and that our greatest benefit is who you are. So reveal yourself to us more and more. For those of us who have neglected the reading of your word, Neglected understanding and reminding ourselves of your excellencies invigorate in us again a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Amen.